Ladies, gentlemen, everybody, welcome to Media Voices. I'm Chris Sutcliffe. This episode is the second of two special episodes produced in partnership with Media Makers Meet, or MX3. Myself, Esther and Peter were lucky enough to be involved in their AI Summit in late 2023, from organization through to speaking. Now, it was invaluable for us as well as the audience, not just to be kept abreast on what publishers, recruiters and experts consider the opportunities and threats of AI for media companies, but also to discover how publishers are already implementing AI tools and experimentation into their organizations. The first episode, which is available on our feed and our site, Voices.media, shares the former, whereas this episode instead features the latter practical and tangible lessons on how media companies are already using AI and hopefully how we all can too. Before we begin, Media Voices would like to thank MX3 once again, and if you would like this information in written form, I've actually written up an article about my own key takeaways from the day, which is live on Voices.media as soon as this episode goes up. We would also like to thank the sponsors for the event, so thank you very much to FT Strategies, Insurads, Labrador CMS, Miso, SubX, and Zwara. Now to begin with, multiple panelists discussed how they prepared the ground for AI integration in their newsrooms. It isn't as simple as you might expect as just deciding to use AI without considering everything from how it changes workflow, organizational structure, to deciding how to measure its effectiveness. Now, FT Strategies is the subscriptions consultancy from the Financial Times. If anybody's qualified to sell expertise around subs, it's them after all. As such, they are constantly keeping on top of absolutely everything that might impact subscription sales, retention, propensity modeling, all the rest. In a very well-received session, manager Alia Itzkowitz and its senior consultant Sam Gould explained how they use design sprints and an experimental approach to identifying business opportunities for publishers. So this, this might not come as a surprise to you, but I think it's worth highlighting Given the excitement around generative AI right now, we saw the majority of ideas were could, could be summarized in two categories. One, personalization and reformatting, repackaging of existing content. And secondly, and what we're calling editorial assistance, so the sub-editing function. And it was very interesting because we had, as I said, 20 different teams that were all working independently. And myself and my colleagues, we were going around the room and I kept hearing the same ideas all day from different teams, even though they weren't, they weren't talking to each other. So some very clear trends that are emerging right now in terms of where people are placing their, their attention uh, with respect to AI. And um, we actually pulled, pulled this together. Just, I just went around the room asking people what their ideas were <laughs> all day. Um, the other areas where we saw some ideas were fewer were using personalization for more commercially oriented use cases. So things like, how can I create audience segments to enable more personalized advertising, for example? Or we also created another capsule category called Other, um, which included some really interesting ideas that were more particular to those businesses. So one or two ideas um, that I can share with you. We had one organization there that's a news agency for their country. They received lots of inbound emails about news events, things that are happening nationally. And um, that, that man's focus for the day was, can I come up with a way to automatically route these emails to the correct people within my team? So quite a specific use case to him. We had another publisher looking at budgeting. Um, so if you think of our framework, that's very much in the green ring, business operations, use cases that we might not immediately think of, depending which part of the news organization we sit in, but areas where there probably are huge efficiencies to be gained. So there were definitely some interesting um, sort of more one-off use cases, but as I said, a lot of enthusiasm around recreating the same piece of content in bullet 
you know, bullet point format, for example, can we build a version of the same story that's better for younger audiences, that's easier to digest for the young people with shorter attention spans, a lot of enthusiasm around use cases like that. And that also begs the question, is this something that we should be looking to build or buy, uh, which we'll come on to later, but that was a big a big topic of conversation for many of these larger bubbles is, is there something that's out there already um, that can do this for us? Or is this something that we should look to be developing ourselves? And of course, once those opportunities have been identified, there is a need to actually achieve them. So here's a selection of questions that the FT strategies team considers necessary to ask before putting any lessons into practice. Speaking of risk, this was one of the final exercises that we got people to step through was basically asking them, what do you need to do next? You've come up with this idea today, but how are you actually going to take this in, into action? So some themes that were very clear from there, from the various groups, uh, we saw a lot around, now we need to go get buy-in. Now we need someone in our business to give us the money to do this. So how do we do that? Some really interesting conversations beginning to happen around ROI and how, how do you prove that you're either saving money or generating new revenue these solutions so how do you go how do you go and make that case to your senior stakeholders that was sort of the next the next step um some which charlie's mentioned some sense of accountability there as well who's going to be responsible for this we had some small teams where someone i was working with he was just putting his own name next to every action that needed to happen because that is the reality that in a lot of businesses there's one person who's sort of driving this forward so um, who's gonna who's gonna actually do this risk mitigation as Sam just just spoke about? And then we've already covered this off the question of is this something that we need to buy or build? And if we want to build it, do we actually have the in-house know-how to do that, or do we need to hire someone? Which another one of the presentations today was about. So um, do we have the skills in-house or not? Is there some way we can upskill or look to hire? Across the day, Peter spoke to a number of the speakers to get condensed versions of their sessions. In a very, very well-received presentation, Roxanne Fisher, Director of Digital Content Strategy at Immediate Media, outlined how the media company is experimenting with and leveraging AI to solve its business goals. In particular, she spoke about how Immediate Media uses AI days to really experiment with and iterate on existing strategies around AI, and also to then feed that information back to the wider organisation. I'm Roxanne. I work for Immediate Media as the Director of Digital Content Strategy, which is essentially being an essential team helping our brand teams to optimise their output, do things like use data properly, and this year it's all been about generative AI. So my favourite bit of your presentation was these numbers that went from 50-50, happy, not happy about AI, to then this 80-20. And one of the things I'm interested in, and you might not be able to tell me this, but did people say why they changed their minds? Uh, yeah, when we've spoken to people, what they appreciated most about the journey we've been taking on this year is having the permission to experiment with AI. Um, I don't think it's uh, the case at all media organisations at the moment that you're encouraged to use these tools. Um, but we also have given them guidelines to help them use them safely and carefully. So they can kind of move forward and not only develop skills for the company but for themselves to be able to um, use AI, be at the forefront of, of what's going on and know that they are doing it in a way that isn't going to damage the reputation of, of the brands um, that we all love. Sure. Do you think that 
50% negativity, if you like, was based on a lack of understanding then? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's still there. And I think if you did that survey any day of the week, it would probably change depending on what's been in the news. Um, but a lot of it, when we first started on this journey at the beginning of the year, a lot of the um, negativity was more fear based. Mm. So I think the negativity was mainly based around people being um, afraid of what it meant for their jobs and their roles and not really knowing how to start. And then uh, the kind of uh, pessimism about the fact that this was actually a thing that was to stay. We'd just come hot off the heels of um, NFTs obviously being the next big thing and then kind of dying away quite quickly for the time being. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of people just thought this was the next hyped thing that wasn't going to touch their roles and their jobs. And you want to kickstart this process. You want to get your negative people to be positive. What's the starting point? I think having people um, who are willing to get stuck in. So we, we were using the tools ourselves, and I wouldn't call myself an expert in generative AI, but I know enough to know what's reasonable to ask of people. Um, so I think kind of uh, walk, talk, walking, walking the walk and uh, kind of <laughs> talking the talk, and um, yeah, kind of practicing what you preach is really important. I think giving people the space and the opportunity to experiment, so that's not only giving them permission, but it's giving them access to the right tools, um, giving them time to actually learn. And we found bringing people from different departments across the business together to share learnings and, and, and working with people who they haven't worked with before was really helpful. That really, um, especially in our experimentation days when people worked on projects together, um, AI projects, I think that was really, really helpful. They, a lot of feedback we got was they really appreciated that. And, um, yeah, and I, I think building in some frameworks and, and easy ways for people to get started is a, is a really important thing. John Barnes is the Chief Digital Officer at B2B publisher and information provider William Reed. Now, I was lucky enough to interview him on the stage about their Waddle In team, which was set up to identify opportunities around AI. Now, to begin with, I asked him what Waddle In means and what ethos it expresses. We came up with this idea for Waddle In. Um, it's a joke on a pub, so Waddle In, come in, but also in a bar. Because uh, we love journalists and that. Um, and the reason it's, it sort of started is I was getting enormous amounts of email, like, I've got this question about this, this question about that, and I was trying to respond to everybody. Just thought, well, we've got um, teams, let's set up a good team around this concept of AI and how it might impact business and what we could do. And rather like a, a kind of social club or, or a bar, uh, everyone's welcome. Um, it's not about uh, being an expert or, or not. It's about having a, a kind of an interest, point of view, perspective. So we've probably got about uh, 60 members now in the end. You, you have to sort of ask to join. It's just not an open group. Um, it's very easy to join. Um, we summarise the conversations uh, each month and push out for business. Um, you can find people or experts and things in there. And it's also a place for pitching ideas, a bit like uh, we just heard in the years. It's more informed, um, but a lot of the ideas get pitched. We sort of put our hands in our pocket, it looks good, and start investing in it. And uh, it's just been a very interesting way of getting people together to talk about things. And it's that question that I typically really, really say something in it is, is working for people. Uh, what's, what's the time scale on that? Because the speed of generative AI and how much it starts all over the years, it's so rapid. Yes. What's the actual time scale of setting that team up? 
I mean, literally got set up in like hours from sort of the idea of doing it. Teams is very easy, tool to use. Um, we're not too heavy on, on rules and things like that, but the, the main thing is we want to contribute. So um, I guess it's been running now for about 18 months. Um, it's getting bigger, uh, the amount of content it, it, it's getting much greater. Um, it's replaced Twitter for a lot of people, so they're sharing stories and stuff. Um, and we also get to, you know, um, have a few social events out of it as well, so we can try and not do it all in, in the, uh, the cosm of teams, but try and get people down into the canteen and things to sort of meet up, have a drink, swap notes and stuff. So. What's interesting about the Waddle-In team is that it's as much a social endeavour as anything to do with business outcomes. Despite that, I asked John what some of those business outcomes have been, even though it's still relatively early. Sure, so if you look at sort of, um, break it down to a couple of things, there's different, different areas of interest for people. They're sort of very much, I want to make something, I want to do something, I've got this idea. Um, very often it's something they want to do with assistance from some other team. Equally, and I can give some examples there in the moment, equally, um, we get people to say, what sort of smart AI have you seen around? Um, you've been at a conference, or you've, you've had another publisher, um, and that's thrown up some kind of interesting tools that we, we've evaluated and then started using. So, an example of that might be uh, Adobe Sensei, which, which we have purchased, but allows us to, um, through Adobe AI, see uh, when people are active on websites and engage with them on news at that time to make them more active. So that's, that's a very productivity engagement kind of thing. Equally, um, uh, we found out about the Microsoft Autopilot projects uh, through some of the people on the team, so we applied to join and we joined. Um, and then we've now hooked up um, the Microsoft AI tools with something called Clarity, which is a kind of hot job kind of tool where you can look at um, uh, page page use journeys, all that kind of stuff. But the interesting thing is if, if you've ever used those kind of tools where you've got a recording and you try to figure out a user journey, as soon as you put AI on it, it tells you what the user's doing. You need to realise that all those people from Sainsbury's middle management are just terrified about Morrison. <laughs> so, okay, how does that help us with our, our kind of editorial approach to, to things like that? Um, and then on the other side of the, the fence, we've got some people that have um, quite techy, um, who've sort of written almost like prompting tools, and probably the most successful of those is one that's helping marketers write better emails to, to get better engagement for things like award entries or sign-ups or subscription um, initiatives and things like that. So it's a tool that you can, it can help you sort of structure um, the communication um, so that it's not writing for you. But rather Barnes noted that the conversation around AI is often around what it should not be used for just as much as what it should be used for. The model in team picked up the fact that, you know, rather like Rox's presentation, people were worried, excited, in measure, we were probably 50-50. Um, we haven't done the follow-up uh, kind of service, so I now need to do that, to do that. Um, but basically, People were worried about would it replace my job? How are we going to use it? Are we using it? Are we not going to use it? Um, it was also prompted by some questions from clients, like, you know, what are you doing with the Is that in AI or that kind of stuff? So we decided um, it would be a good idea to sort of publish the statements. Um, we used the model to basically collaborate on the content. We had the 
I achieve that by legal counsel involved, the CEO is involved, put together, then we put it out to the business to say, is anybody worried about any of this or do you want to go? And then we published that to our corporate website um, early November. Um, and it's been quite an interesting thing. So we've had a little response from that. Some of the customers are saying, you know, that's quite innovative. We haven't seen that with other people in this space. We ripped the idea off shamelessly from wire. So um, it, it's proved to be quite good because the principle of what we're trying to be is sort of transparent, uh, sort of ethical, um, human oversight, all those kind of things. So by sort of explaining in that kind of formal way what we're doing and what we're saying what we're not doing, I think that's been very helpful for the company to get a grip with you know, where we're going and make it less scary. As a B2B company, William Reed has many clients, many of whom are equally interested in what the deployment of AI can actually offer to them. So I asked John how William Reed is managing the expectations of its clients while balancing its own needs. You, you've got to, you, as with any business, you've got a real mix. You've got very big clients who will have a very a different approach to very small clients. I think the general kind of um, cut and thrust of what um, clients want to find out is where are we using AI? Are we actually writing articles with it? Um, are we analysing data? What are we doing with it? We've got this um, prototype kind of badging system going through, sort of a bit like commercial content. You know, this is client pay, or it's you know written, written for the client, um, submitted by the client. We've got a similar thing going on with testing some sort of uh, images about AI assisted, hundred percent original, that kind of thing. Talking to PPA about that. So that's one kind of um, area. Then the other area is uh, particularly. Um, in terms of how we can use that to obviously not only identify what people are interested in, but try and contain the sort of surfacing content that people are interested in, you sort of go down this doom loop of just serving the same stuff all the time. So what we're trying to sort of figure out and help clients with is how we sort of introduce things that certain companies should be reading about, but maybe they're not, um, and that's sort of linked to some of the account-based marketing um, initiatives involved with certain clients, and that that's particularly appealing to clients that are trying to win back or win new clients because it's services stuff you wouldn't make normally read about an essay or whatever. So that's, that's the sort of thrust of the commercial side. Ross Light is Chief Strategy Officer EMEA at CI&T. Now, he's taken a forward-looking approach to experimentation within the organization, and that starts with identifying what role AI actually plays in creation, curation, personalization, the rest, and what that then frees humans within the organization up to do. Yes, yeah, so the way we look at it at CIMT is, is uh, this three-act play. The first act which we're in right now is around productivity and efficiency. So how can we use AI in order to be able to augment uh, our current processes, speed them up, take away the menial tasks, uh, allow greater efficiency amongst uh, all members of that uh, value chain, basically. Um, so that's where we're right in there today. We're, we're barreling quickly into Act 2, which is hyper-personalization, which is the ability for AI to start to bring multiple different uh, modalities, multiple different uh, information together for you for your particular needs in response to a natural language question. So uh, all of the standardized ways of us getting information beforehand in the last you know, 20 years of digital has all been about human error and our error in terms of finding things out and going down rabbit holes. AI is going to do the work for us and hyper-personalize around that. That means everything can be aimed around the individual, right? And that has 
wide implications, not just in terms of content consumption, but also in terms of healthcare and individual healthcare plans and dietary plans and all those issues. And then the third act is because of that hyper-personalisation, we're going to end up in a situation where we're going to see massive disruption to business models. Because the old ways in which business models are being built, uh, you know, and there's old, there's old aspects of things I talked about on stage about search uh, advertising and display advertising. You know, if pages aren't there for the adverts to appear on in the same way, how do they get brought to you? you know, are we going to have agents that are bringing personalised adverts to us? Ultimately, that that whole revenue stream is up for for grabs, right? And that will happen in every other single sector. Uh, you're not going to be, uh, in any way, uh, avoid the disruption that will happen out of the business models that AI will bring. You know, and again, I talked about things like agents fulfilling tasks for us uh, all the way through to purchase. So I, I provide a, uh, an ability for the AI to go off and say, you know, contextually, I, I need clothes to go to a wedding. Um, I describe what the wedding is, I describe myself, it will come back with different outfits for me, I will choose those or mix those, I will then, it will then go off and purchase them for me and then I'll be in a position whereby that, they'll be then sent to me in the normal way. That is a fundamentally disruptive business model to everything, into retail, in terms of uh, the shopping experience, the buying experience and that's what we're going to be seeing is this, this new generation of business models fitting around people's personal needs. And of course, it would be remiss of us not to mention the vast array of functions AI can and already is playing within journalists' jobs. Jan Thorsen is CEO of Labrador CMS, which integrates AI tools into the workflow of journalists. Now, historically, AI has been seen to streamline those roles, allowing journalists to focus on what really, really matters. But Thurston takes a more forward-facing approach, looking at what it will actually offer to journalists in the future. So in terms of using AI, what, what's the benefits of bringing it into the system? It's uh, to uh, empower production and, and also to to make it more uh, to make it to make the product better. Uh, so, if you, for example, for tags, uh, I think this, the AI is better for tags than a journalist. Uh, the AI don't don't spell Hillary Clinton wrongfully. Uh, journalists do. Uh, so you will you have a better tag system, and it's also it's also better for. Journalists tend not to be that good at uh, writing SEO titles uh, because you have to change the ang- your angle of what, how to write it. Uh, and uh, so the, uh, the AI is much better for it. So of all the sites that you're using, is everyone using AI? No, some of them uh, don't like it, of course, uh, but, but they tend to use it for these things, the tags and SEO titles. Uh, some of them are just, have, have just discovered it. We have sent them information, we showed it to them. But some of them are really onto it. So some, some, some of them have started to use it right away. I think, I think it depends on the, the editor. So the ones that don't like it, what is it they don't like about it? I'm not sure, but maybe they are. The, the, you, you heard this conference. Most of this conference have been at, uh, about the fear about AI, uh, that AI might not tell the truth. Uh, we are not using the AI to search the web. We are just using on it on top of what the journalists have written. Uh, so, so we, we don't try to to make the story. The journalists should make the story, and then we can enrich it with a better SEO title and tags, or maybe a fact box or a summary. So, is every customer that you have using the same version of the product, or can they customize it? All our customers have the same version, but the largest client have uh, have a develop access so then they can change whatever they want on it. Do they know 
this is maybe a strange question, but do they know that they're using AI or do they think they're just using a better CMS? Now it actually says in the editor, it says that this is uh, AI based on a version. And it's also, the setting is based for every journalist. The journalist should know if they, they are using AI or not. So yeah, yeah, every journalist have to activate it themselves. And do they tell the readers that it's AI, that there's AI involved? Maybe, I'm not sure. But if you, if, but, but if you make the tags on AI, should you tell them? I'm not sure, yeah. but but the system, the, the default of Factbox says this Factbox is made by AI and and double checked by a journalist. So you said it's changing very quickly. Yeah. Do you have any idea where this is going to go? We all have some some idea where it's going to go, but right now it's really good at at making a summary of a text. Uh, but uh, but I don't think the AI, if if you are working in a local or national newspaper everybody's talking about AI that, that can produce articles but they don't AI is not can't find the news the news is written by the journalists so right now it's just uh, like a cal- calculator a calculator can help you to uh, use numbers more easily like a spreadsheet I don't think you write that if you use a spreadsheet this, this number is made, made by a spreadsheet there are also practical considerations around publishers' use of AI and, more importantly, their disclosure of the use of AI that have an impact on their relationship with consumers. Tim Bond is Associate Director of Media Development at Ipsos. Now, Peter asked him what the public actually expects of publishers around that disclosure and what benefit it can confer to do that disclosure correctly. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. The, I guess the challenge is um, how much the general public will actually know about the AI that's being used, right? Um, and I think that gets us into the ethical conversations um, and actually some of the legislation that's out there already about transparency um, and actually all the, the data we've, we see within Ipsos but also in my previous role with the, the Data Marketing Association is that it's that transparency that's key. Um, so as long as people know what's going on or have a sense that they know what's going on, um, then they feel that level of control that they're more comfortable with it happening. Um, so yes, they, not everybody needs to love AI um, or generative AI in, in, or AI in all its forms, but certainly that awareness of what's going on is going to be key. Otherwise, people are just going to push back against it um, and there is going to be an undercurrent of actually what's happening with my data. Um, am I talking to humans or not? Um, th- those are really the challenges that, that we need to overcome. So is that an opportunity for brands and publishers to kind of get out ahead of it and actually establish that trust? I think it can be, um, but then in that lies a risk as well, right? That, um, that if it doesn't go to plan, um, you know, it, it, could, it could be damaging. But um, I think actually if you go out there with an honesty with things like beta programs and you, you start it with smaller groups of your users, maybe your more loyal users or your more kind of digitally savvy users as a starting point, you can also use them as kind of workshops um, to actually see is this hitting the mark, is our messaging hitting the mark Um, and that can be really key as well because then when you, rather than just push an AI tool out to all of your users and all of your customers, you know, that that can be a bit of a shock Um, but actually taking that iterative approach can allow you the time to to tweak and and get the messaging and the tool right. Um, while also giving them value and giving some of those insiders that feeling of you know, being insiders with, with your brand and feeling like they're shaping it. It's something we've seen in a, in a couple of studies we've done, that sense of actually 
feeling involved with the brands you like can foster even more loyalty and then they're the people who can get other people on board as well. Well, thanks once again to Media Makers Meet for the AI Summit. We were delighted to collaborate with them. One thing is absolutely for sure, AI is only ever going to become more integrated into publishers' business models. It's going to suffuse everything from editorial processes to personalization to commercial decision-making. Stay tuned to Media Voices and MX3 for more information on how publishers are using AI in their own organizations. Now, you can do that by going to voices.media. While you're there, why not sign up to our daily newsletter, which keeps you abreast of the four most important media stories every single day of the working week. And if you're somehow flush with cash after the holiday period, maybe you've got a generous nan like I do, why not contribute to keeping the Media Voices tower lights on by donating to our Ko-Fi. Now, we're going to be back with a regular series of Media Voices in the very near future. But until then, thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year and goodbye.